Brad is uh, just a wonderful guy, has really become a deeply involved servant of Christ, living for the Savior. But we still talk about his uh, days when he was a professional baseball player. And one of the things I mentioned to him last night was uh, how often his name appears in record books. Um, And the reason I brought that up is because we really like to throw digs at each other. His name is in the record book when he was pitching for the Minnesota Twins. He was the pitcher who gave up the longest home run ever hit in the Minnesota Stadium. He said whenever he would throw a pitch and he knew that the batter was uh, hitting the ball out of the park, he wouldn't look at it. He would just stand there and he knew it was gone. He said this one was hit so hard, he had to turn around and look at it. And he was awed when he saw it. And now his name's in the record book. You don't appreciate that as much as I do, but you have to know, Brad. Anyway, we, we go back and forth with each other. And, and, and the home run ball that was hit by, was it Lloyd Ogilvie? Was that? I think it was Lloyd. The, the, batter, the batter was, his last name's Ogilvie. Anyway, Brad said that he was a real strong inside fastball hitter. And Brad threw a 92-mile-an-hour inside fastball, and he knocked it out of the park. Well, have you ever caught a 92-mile-an-hour fastball? I haven't. But Brad, when he was playing professional ball, would pitch, and he pitched well. He actually has a a World Series ring when he played with the Dodgers. And uh, he, he was very, very good, but... When he would have catch with his son, he moderated his pitching. He wouldn't throw 92-mile-an-hour fastballs. He would throw what was appropriate for his son to catch because he doesn't want to hurt his son. His son is only developed to a certain place, and so he would moderate his behavior in light of the need of the one to whom he was throwing the pitch. Have any of you heard of, you, you, you know Paul Harvey, okay? You remember Paul Harvey, the newscaster? Some of the younger people may not remember him. He has passed away, but he used to have a thing called the rest of the story. This second half of, of Romans chapter 14 is the rest of the story of what we began last week. The discussion last week took us down a road of liberty. It took us down a road of freedom. And it told us about the freedom that we have in Christ to evaluate things that are not necessarily addressed in the Word of God. There are areas that we would call gray areas. There are areas that are debatable among believers. Some things are very clearly identified as sinful behavior, and we're not talking about those. But the areas of things that relate to that which would be embraced differently by different people, and and the Apostle used the illustration of eating meat that had been offered to idols. And we talked about how there were those who believed that if meat was offered to an idol, it was the, the food, the meat itself, was corrupted by the demonic influences behind that idol. But Paul said that the stronger brother, the brother who's more mature, who has developed more, he understands that nothing is wrong with that meat. He can buy that meat, he can eat it, and, and enjoy it, because he's free to do that. He has soul liberty 
to make a decision based upon what he knows to be the truth. But the weaker brother says, no, I, I, can't, I can't do that. That, that. that meat has been tainted by the demonic powers. And Paul said, don't judge each other. If, if you are the weaker brother, don't judge the man that has the freedom to eat. And if you are the stronger brother... Don't judge the weaker brother who doesn't have the freedom because his conscience will not allow him to eat that meat. Don't judge him. So, he brings us to this conclusion. In the areas that are gray, and we we identified some of them last week, some playing cards, some people have a problem with that, others have no problem. Dancing. The problem would be if you create a desire that can't be righteously fulfilled, but if you're dancing with your mate... That's no big deal. And, and so some people would say, no, no, I, I would never dance. Uh, going to movies. Some people will not go to movies. Other people say, you know, there's really very little difference between the movies that I see in the theater and what is presented on television. And so I don't really see a problem with this. And so you go back and forth and you look at all these different issues that are gray and you understand different people, even within the same congregation, are going to come to different conclusions. But now, the rest of the story. When we look back at verse 13 of Romans chapter 14, we find that Paul is taking us into a realm where we can demonstrate a loving spiritual maturity to one another. In other words, yes, you do have freedom. But there are other issues related, and so he begins in verse 13 by saying this, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. Alright, so there's the, the, the overriding element. Don't pass judgment on others whose consciences, whose spiritual strength is different from yours. Understand there will be differences. But then he goes on to say this, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So, what he wants us to do when he gives us this initial declaration is to have an understanding of what it means to have our liberty in Christ and to have that liberty in light of an understanding of spiritual maturity that should develop to the point where we love each other so much that we are able to deal with our level of spiritual maturity even though it's different from someone else. Long sentence. But let's explain what we mean. When Paul is addressing believers, don't judge each other, but... I want you to understand something about the liberty that you have in Christ. And here's the first thing that you need to know. That Christ has given us liberty from ceremonialism and from superstition. When we talk about the ceremonialism, what Christ has set us free from is the ceremonial law that had been established under Moses in the dispensation in which the law was delivered. And there are things that Israel was required to do that we're not required to do. Or things that they wouldn't be allowed to do, which we can do. For example, they were not allowed to eat pork. We can eat pork. God says that everything is clean 
And it is to be received, it is, if it's received, with thanksgiving. And so, you, you can eat pork. How many of you like shellfish? Do, do, do you ever go down to, uh, what, what, what's the restaurant, um, Catfish Dewey's? And, and have the all-you-can-eat uh, crab legs? I have seen people move into the realm of sin by the amount of crab meat that they have eaten. And you need to confess that. If I give an invitation today, you better come down. All right. Okay. <laughs> we, can eat, we can eat shellfish. We're allowed to do that. Those things are all legal. However, when we talk about the liberty we have, just because we have liberty doesn't mean we have to exercise that liberty in every dimension. How did the Lord set us free? He set us free from the curse of sin. He set us free from the absolute influence of sin. He set us free from the ultimate destination of those whose sins have not been forgiven. He has set us free from fear. He has set us free in many, many ways, but in this particular way, it really works itself out in the way we conduct ourselves and in the things that we do. And so what the Lord said is this, I want you all to understand this, and we have to begin with this proviso. You are free. All things are clean. Now, when he says all things, that is limited to the things that have not been specifically addressed in Scripture. Fornication is sin. Adultery is sin. Theft is sin. Murder is sin. Lust is sin. Coveting is sin. Those things are clear. Does anybody question the fact that I am not talking about the things that are clearly identified in Scripture as sin? Do you all understand that? Don't anybody leave here and say, well, pastor says we have liberty in Christ, therefore I'm going to go live in adultery. No! That is sin, and God says those that live in adultery cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Can an adulterer be saved? Absolutely. But they are then delivered from that sin and they are set free to live righteously. But I am talking about this. Can you go to movies? If your conscience allows you, yes. Uh, could you eat meat that was sacrificed to idols? Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. You have been set free to enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ. That's where he begins. He goes on to tell us more about the freedom that we have by telling us that Christ has given liberty to all who are His, even to the weak in faith. So those who are strong in their understanding of the liberty that we have in Christ must understand that even the weak brother, the brother who says, I can't play cards, those are the devil's cards. We understand their position in that. They are free. 
They don't have to view it that way, but at this point in time, they, they see it that way. They don't see it as just something that's been run off by a printer, and people play games with it, and that's all there is to it. And so you look at them and you say, with respect... I recognize that we all have freedom, and that means you have even freedom to evaluate your own conscience, and if it bothers you, not to play, or not to eat, or not to drink, or not to go here, or not to do that. And so we respect each other's perspective, and we respect each other's view. He also tells us that Christ has given us liberty to focus on His purpose, Look down at verses 17 and 18, because here he clearly tells us these are the important things of life. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now look at verse 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. And so now he tells us what are the things that are really important. Well, one of the areas is that we make an impact upon the culture in which we live. The, the, the realm of extending the knowledge of what it is to be righteous. And, and Paul, he, here's something that's very interesting. He addresses this subject matter in Romans chapter 14. But he addressed it on several different occasions when he wrote to the Corinthians. In, in 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, he addresses some of this. And then also in the 10th chapter, he addresses some of it as well. And in the 5th the, um, chapter, here's what he says. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. What is he saying? He is saying you have freedom to go into a world that is captivated by sin and make a difference in people's lives. Now, if a brother or sister is living in sin, you ultimately may have to uh, not only identify it, but withdraw yourself from fellowship with that brother or sister so that they come to repentance and they change their behavior and they do what it is that God has called them to do. That's why he says, I'm not talking about the people of this world. You, you may have to do that with a brother or sister. But when it comes to the world, you have freedom to go into that world and make a difference. To show them what it is to be like, to be a follower of Christ. Not to be the same way that the world is. Too many believers today have decided, well, we're going to live like the world. We're going to do the things that the world... We, we were talking in our uh, prospective members class today how the, um, the percentage of marriages that end in divorce in a Christian church is the same as the percentage of marriages that end in divorce in the world. What's up with that? When you get married, you choose to stay with your mate for life. And if there's a problem, you work it out. We were talking about, um, what if uh, 
a husband is beating up his wife. We'll deal with that. We'll have you arrested. And then, once we have your attention, we'll help you understand you cannot do that. By the way, I just made an announcement to you men, and I've made it before. Don't even think about abusing your wife. Don't even think about it. And I would say to you women who can beat up your husbands, don't let him know. (laughs) It would be very, very harmful to his spirit. Anyway, where was I? We can make a difference in the world, but we can't live like the world. Do you understand? We have to be different from the world in the things that we do and in the things that we allow. And then, another issue that he addresses is that Christ has given us an accountability to God in our freedom. Look at verse 22, where it says, Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. In other words, what he's saying is this, you ultimately are going to have to answer to God. Do you understand that? We all have to answer to God for the way we live. When we have trusted Christ as Savior, now our behavior is going to be evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ, and I'm going to have to give a reason for the decisions I made, and for the direction I went, and for the things that I did, and for the things that I didn't do. So that's our freedom. And by the way, the freedom that Christ has given us is wonderful. It is like a breath of fresh air. I am not gaining God's merit by legalism, by thinking that there are things that I can do that will gain merit before God. No, I am accepted in the Beloved when I trust Christ as Savior. He sees me. God the Father sees me in the righteousness of His Son. And I am accepted. And I am free now to live for His glory. And I want to tell you, in the, middle, in the midst of that freedom, there are some really good things. I love I moderate the amount that I eat, but I love crab meat. I am free to eat it. Under the law, I couldn't eat it. By the way, I know that these are silly little things, but I'm free to grow a beard if I want to. Right? You understand that there were Christian realms where if you grew a beard, you were sinning. Hair on the face of a man the college I went to. Wearing wire rim glasses. Having your hair down over your, uh, your ears, down to your shoulders. For men. Um, had an interesting conversation with one of our missionaries who didn't know the Lord until he was in his teens. And in a church service, he came down to the front when the altar call was made and he knelt down And the pastor came down and put his arm around him and said, Young man, why did you come forward? And Bruce O'Neill said, Because I want Jesus as my Savior. And the pastor said, Well, then you've got to cut your hair. Tragic. 
absolute tragedy. We're set free from that legalism. Thank the Lord, Bruce didn't return to church for two years. And then the Lord got a hold of his heart, and now we know where he is. By the way, if you don't believe me, check it out. Ask him, he'll tell you. Cut your hair? If I want to wear hair to my waist, I have the freedom to do that. Why are you laughing? There's something, I'm missing something here, but a mental picture. Some of you men are jealous. You all get the point. We have to move on. In the next area that we look at within the realm of this freedom is this. What God is telling us in the rest of the story is that we have got to keep our liberty in control. Just because I am free and I can do things that are not under the guise of a legalistic system, I still cannot do the things that God says I ought not do. I've talked about that at some length, and so I don't think I have to go into that. But where God forbids the use of liberty, I dare not take my liberty. And what God calls sin, I call sin. And I don't do that. But there's another dimension to this. I can't go where my own conscience forbids me from going. Now... Now we're getting into the rest of the story. When you look at verse 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. What did Paul just say? He said uh, this, I will not eat meat, I will not drink wine, I will not do anything that causes my brother to stumble, but then I am accountable before God, and here's what I also know. If I doubt what I'm doing then I am condemning myself, not to eternal separation from God, but I am condemning my own behavior before my Father. And if I eat the meat that has been sacrificed to the idols, notice how he says, because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. What he is saying is, if I eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols, but in my heart I believe that there is something wrong with that meat because it has been uh, infected by a demonic force, now I sin against myself. If I believe something is wrong, even though God has not identified it in and of itself as being wrong, if I eat when my conscience troubles me, then I'm sinning. Folks, can you make the transition now from the freedom to the control of that freedom? Um, somebody said to me last week, you didn't mention anything about drinking. Um, you, you stay away from that. You know why? Because people have very strong opinions about the use of alcohol. And what Paul is saying here is this. If I have a conscience that doesn't allow me to use alcohol as a beverage, and I do it anyway, I have sinned. Now, some of you are not going to like that I say this, but I have to tell you 
the Bible says. This implies that people have been drinking alcohol. But if I think it's wrong, then I ought not do it. And so, can a person use alcohol as a beverage? Some of you would say, no, no, never, never, it's wrong. And it's because you've seen the consequences of people who cannot refrain from drinking. And so here's all I want to say. I want to say what God says. It appears that it's alright for some people to have a drink so long as they don't do it in excess. Can you agree with that? What do you think Jesus turned the water into at the wedding feast? That was not grape juice. And I'm serious about that. But I will say this. If we understand historically the use of wine in the first century, it did not have near the alcoholic level that our wine does today, and it was used primarily to preserve things. So I think we have to be really careful when it comes to the use of alcohol. Part of the reason I'm even addressing it is because the culture today allows people, quote-unquote, Christians to drink. I guess, biblically, I can't fight that, but I would dare say this, be really, really careful. Not only for your own conscience, but for the next reason. You dare not do things that offend your brother or sister, their conscience as well. Notice what Paul says in verse 13, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. If I have a sense that I am free to have a glass of wine with a meal, but I know that my brother or my sister sees that as something wrong, then I make this decision. I'm not having that. Because I don't want to cause my brother or sister to look at me and say, well, I guess it's okay. Yeah, pour a glass for me too. And then in their heart they're saying... This is awful. This is wrong. Now I've caused my brother to stumble. Do you, do you get it? The, the, the idea of uh, causing him to fall, the, the, the second part there, uh, the stumble we, we get clearly, but causing to fall, the term that's used there is like uh, the, the, uh, the stick that holds a trap. It's like you're pulling the stick out from the trap and it falls on your brother or sister for whom this is wrong. I went on a missionary trip years ago. And uh, the missionary that I was uh, serving with uh, took me into what at that time was Yugoslavia. It, it is now Croatia. And uh, uh, there was one, one pastor there kept trying to get me to drink with him at dinner. And could I? Yeah. I, I, I believe I have the freedom to do that. But here's the deal. I had made a covenant with the people of our church that I would not be drinking. So I said no. Now that stinker kept pushing me. They will find his body if they look... <laughs> no. <laughs> no. After a short time, we, he got off the, the bandwagon. And, and at that point in time, it would have been wrong for me. Can that change? Yeah, it could change. Does it need to change? No. Not if I am concerned about my brother or sister. And you might think it's okay to drink, 
But if you cause someone else to drink because they see you doing it, but it hurts their conscience, you have now become guilty of sin. See, we're more concerned about the well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ than we are in the free use of the liberty that we have in Christ. You know, when you have liberty, you're also free to not do things. Do you understand? You're free to not eat the meat that's offered to the idols. You're free to say, if you're going to be among Jewish people, I am not going to eat any pork around these people. Forget the bacon. (laughs) But I'm not going to do that because I do not want to violate their conscience. Are, Are we getting the picture here? We're getting the rest of the story. Um, Notice what he goes on to say there in verse 15. He says, Yet if your brother is grieved, that means he has this pang of conscience. Uh, Because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. That word destroyed, sometimes we would interpret that much more strongly than what it's meant there. It means to halt one's spiritual journey. In other words, the weaker brother is making his way through the Christian life and he's learning how to to live righteously without living by a set of rules of do's and don'ts, a legalistic set that is not part of God's program. And, And so what you do is, if you cause that brother to violate his own conscience then I have interrupted his walk with the Lord, and at that point he just stops. Because now he's willing to do things that his conscience really wouldn't allow. You got it? my, My bigger concern than my freedom is you. That's what we should all be saying. Yes, I have freedom. Praise God. Man alive. If my wife and I want to sit down and play a game of gin with real cards. We can do that. But if you come to my house and you see playing cards is wrong, you're never going to see those cards. Because I don't want to cause you to stumble. To me, this is pretty clear. I don't want to betray the benefits that the Lord has given me through Christ. There's, there, there's more, but I, I must bring this to a close. Let me go on to the final point here. As a mature believer who loves his brothers and sisters in Christ, I can promote what is important rather than promoting my own freedom. What's important? Righteousness. A life that is lived before God that is right in His sight. It is a practical. Do I have a standing before God that is absolutely righteous? Yes, I do. That is not pride. That is not arrogance. That is a recognition of what God has done for me in the person of Jesus Christ when I trust in Him as my Savior. I am in God's sight completely as righteous as Christ is. He has made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. I have God's righteousness. Do you understand that? And you do too. 
What a great thing! Now, I have to bring my behavior into line with my standing. And that's not always easy to do. But it's part of the process that God has in refining me. Peace. Where brothers and sisters can get along. Listen, we may not all agree about things. But I'll tell you this, we can get along, can't we? And I'm not talking about Rodney King kind of get along. I'm talking about the fact that we have things that are much greater than our differences and we can stand for our differences and we can stand strongly for our differences. My opinion is this, your opinion is that. I think you're dead wrong. Well, I think you're dead wrong. Well, what are we going to do about this? We're going to love each other and we're going to walk together. Joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Do you have the joy of Christ in your heart? I, I had... Uh, Debbie's not here today. Um, I dated a girl. <laughs> See, I get away with this. She went to her aunt's wedding. Her aunt, this is the honest truth, is 80 years old. And her aunt got married yesterday. And some of you say, well, why would somebody 80 years old get married? She wants to have more kids. Uh, <laughs> the marriage part of that is true. <laughs> the rest of that is not. But anyway, I dated this girl one time who really had grasped the idea of the joy of the Lord. And she used to say this. She, she was also a teacher, and she would tell her students... Do you have the joy of the Lord? And the students say, well, yeah. Then she'd say, well, why don't you tell your face? Yes, I'm, I'm a follower of Christ. Yeah, my sins have been forgiven. Yep, I have eternal life and I'm going to heaven. I am just so happy in Christ. I have the joy of the Lord. Come on. Let's, let's show our joy. Forget the election. God is in control. And He is not going to fail. So I can be joyful in every circumstance. Because I know that He's working everything together for my good. And then I do things that edify my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't want to trip you up. I want to build you up. I want my life to be such that no matter when you would see me, whether it's in a public setting or whether I think I'm all by myself, what you see is honoring to Christ and would be a good example for you as well. Now, am I always successful? No. But my goal is to edify, to build up the body of Christ. And where does that leave us? My responsibility is not to judge my brothers and sisters who do things differently than I do. But it's also not to exercise my liberty without restraint. It's to edify and to promote righteousness to promote peace 
and to promote joy. Father, thank you for giving us such a wonderful freedom in Christ and the freedom to restrict our freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.